From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, children with keratoconus and fungal keratitis at AAO 2019. It turned out that almost 20% had some abnormality on the penicam that was consistent with a finding of possible early keratoconus. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the 2019 annual meeting of the American Academy of Ophthalmology in San Francisco. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on iWorld's YouTube channel at iWorldTV.com. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we hear from Jessica Soralski on fungal keratitis and from Bill Trantler on keratoconus in school children. I'm here with Jessica Soralski. Jessica, I'm, I'm happy that you're here. You just give this wonderful talk on uh, fungal keratitis. Let me get you to sort of give me the, 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 the lay of the land here, and then I'll have uh, more specific questions for you. Absolutely. So I was doing an interactive case presentation, and I presented a case of a 13-year-old girl with a really difficult uh, fungal ulcer. It was not diagnosed for four weeks, and so we talked about difficulties in, in diagnosis, difficulties in treatment, especially when it's, when it's advanced. So, yeah, so tell, tell me, I, I mean, you know, I'm going to ask you to present the whole case. Secretly, I am. <laughs> uh, so, no, just, just, just give, me, give me a little bit of, of, of clinical context for it. Absolutely. So, I saw her once we had a diagnosis, um, and I um, had had the benefit of knowing what she had, but so the story previous to coming to me was that she is a contact lens wearer. She had worn it in pools and, and hot tubs and presented to an ophthalmologist who diagnosed her first as a corneal abrasion, uh, wasn't getting better on, on a topical broad-spectrum antibiotic, went on to do fortifieds, still wasn't getting better. They cultured, diagnosed as herpes, Still wasn't getting better. Diagnosed as acanthamoeba on antiparasitics. Still not getting better. Um, and then finally went for a second culture corneal biopsy, and then was diagnosed with fungus. So that, that's 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 interesting. I mean, the, the 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 interesting part of, of the study that I, uh, of this presentation, which I guess is not really relevant, is why why it is that they jumped right to a a canthamoeba when fungal keratitis. I mean, it's not the most common. Keratitis, but it, in my community, which is your community, mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a lot uh, less. I mean, fungal keratitis is a lot more common than than protozoal keratitis. Yeah, especially in Florida, right? She was on a trip to Florida. She was in a New Yorker, but on a trip to Florida, she was a contact lens wearer, and I think the water, you know, being exposed to to water, fresh water, and and pools and hot tubs, uh, maybe made somebody think about parasitic. I was not involved at that point in the in the care. Oh no, I was wasn't yeah. suggesting for a second that you were. Uh, so let, let let me let me ask this: with bacterial keratitis, there there are. The, the, there are pretty consistent ways that, that we treat it, even if we have to vary treatment based upon the response in the clinical context that the patient has. With fungal keratitis, it, there, there, there aren't such rigid treatment protocols, and that's always a sign that uh, treatment is, is sort of suboptimal or there would only be one way to do it. Yeah. So. Talk about the uh, treatment of fungal keratitis generally. I, I want to hear how you manage this, this patient. Mm -hmm. But in, in general, what is the right way 
to approach this? Yeah, I think it depends if it's filaments or filamentous or if it's yeast. And in our case, it was fusarium, so filamentous. And I think based on the MUT trial, you know, natamycin is probably first line. It's easy to get. Uh, and so patient came to us on natamycin, which was nice. We added in a second topical medication. I added in amphotericin and um, oral voriconazole. And so I think for the more difficult cases, this was pretty advanced. I would add in an IV azole um, medication or, or an oral um, azole medication. I sometimes go to a second agent when it's an advanced case, but I would start with one agent, uh, natamycin if it's uh, filamentous and maybe ampho if it's yeast. Were, were there any clinical uh, clues, or more generally, can there be more clinical clues with these patients just at the slit lamp that, that can, I mean, certainly not be diagnostic of, okay. of, of fungus, but alert you that that, that that should be in your differential? Well, sure. You know, the feathery uh, classic uh, teaching of these ulcers, also satellite lesions can maybe make you think about fungus. This was sort of just a white limbus to limbus ulcer. So... Hard to tell, but yeah. not getting better on treatment should make you think about atypicals and fungus and acanthamoeba. And and a lot of the 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 times, even when the the region of the keratitis is is limited, it's a lot more posterior than than Absolutely. you would normally think of seeing with with uh, um, bacterial. What was the duration of your treatment, and how did you know when to stop therapy? That's a great question. Um, it was limited and, and at the beginning only because she perforated. So she had a near perforation prior to presenting to us. And then I treated her seven days inpatient, three days outpatient, and there was a small perforation. And that made me take her to the OR. So that was pre-operating um, room. But then I did continue. I continued orals for about four weeks. And she had some elevated LFTs. So I stopped that after four weeks. But I continued topicals and extra 12 weeks and tapered them over those 12 weeks. Wow. I mean, this, this is clearly, e even for a fungal case, this is not, not, a, not a typical case, but of course, I, I, that's why you presented yeah. it. You know, <laughs> to do something trivial here. Um, so what, what are the take-homes for me as a, as a clinician with a comprehensive practice? Yeah, absolutely. I think look for it is, is probably the biggest one. And if an ulcer is not getting better and you don't feel comfortable treating it, send it out. I think the other big take-home point that I always like to emphasize is reculture. I always say a negative culture from someone else is it's not a negative culture until I've cultured it myself. I, I don't just take the word for for it that it's negative. Someone else has done it. There's different ways of culturing, but I think that you really need to get tissue. You really need. I, I take a 15 degree blade. I really plate it out, put it on slides, and look at it. And confocal is another really great. Uh, tool. This was a case from uh, eight years ago. So confocal wasn't quite as mainstream as it is today, but I think it's another adjunctive tool. Yeah, the, 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 these are these are great, great points. And 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 although, uh, as everyone, and particularly Jonathan Kahn says, anything can be simplex. It, it, mm -hmm. the, you know it, that that in a context like this really has to be a diagnosis of exclusion and uh, fungal keratitis is one of the things that needs to be. Excluded. Uh, well, great, great. This, this is wonderful, wonderful stuff. I want to uh, thank you for, for, for bringing this uh, tragic case to us, but but at least uh, at least I got something out of it. <laughs> uh, and, and and I, you know, you're a very very busy person, particularly at this meeting. I want to thank you for the generosity of the time you've shown us today. Thanks for having me.
I'm here with Bill Trantler. Bill, you, you gave a wonderful talk, a really, really, really interesting subject. So you are looking at the, the prevalence of keratoconus. And, you know, this, it sounds like, you know, hasn't this been, been rehashed? Don't, don't we know? And, and, and you've really demonstrated that, that, the, that the answer is no. Let me... Uh, let, 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 let me provide just a little bit of my, my own context. Um, we were always told back in, in, the, in the day that keratoconus was something very, very rare. And then in the initial study that, uh, that was the FDA approval for the first eczema laser, something like 20% of the, of the myopes coming in had some sort of keratoconus flavored corneas. And it's like, whoa, this is, the, this is not the prevalence that we were, we were told of. We're going to be talking about this wonderful study that, that you're doing. But before we do that, I want to know how you defined keratoconus because otherwise it's like asking what is the prevalence of tall people. You know, it, it, my definition as a New York person of my ethnicity about what tall is, is, you know, may not be what everyone's idea is. What's keratoconus? That's a great question. So keratoconus is a abnormality of the corneal shape, and it's usually both a front issue and a back issue. So some people feel the back issue is more important. I personally think there's a lot of findings in the front issue, front part of the cornea that are quite critical. So I, I look at both, and I think there's certain technologies we have available to us that look at both the front and the back sur surface of the cornea. We can start to identify eyes that have some funny I, I hate to use the word funny, but they have some normal findings that tell us that this patient either has keratoconus or is about to develop keratoconus or is at risk for developing keratoconus. So, so keratoconus, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to at some point hold your feet to the fire about giving me a definition for keratoconus, but keratoconus is really rare, isn't it? I do not think it's rare at all. It's actually quite more common than we all think. I think we can see that in our patients that are coming in, like you said, for refractive surgery consultations. It's shocking how many patients actually have findings of, of early keratoconus or frank keratoconus. And even our cataract surgery patients, we're now doing topography more routinely, and we see keratoconus, not surprisingly, when patients come in, they have no idea they have an abnormal corneal shape, but we identify it during our cataract surgery consultations. So, uh, you know, when, when, when the, 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 the residents come in and they, they learn, they say, look, Doc, I looked for for months in sign and Rizzuti's sign. It's like you know, for forget about that. But it, it, at at least we can rely on the idea that keratoconus patients, patients with real keratoconus, are coming in with poor vision. Don't they always come in with with poor vision? And, and that's a surprising thing. I think. Thanks for bringing that up. I think number one, the slit lamp exam is often nor. Or is, typically normal in mild to moderate keratoconus. It's a little bit later these corneal findings are visible. But and also the vision can be quite surprisingly good. You have patients that can come in with 20-20 uncorrected visual acuity and have very obvious signs of keratoconus. The keratoconus, uh, the C part could be a little bit more inferior, or they just are able to identify those letters and they just have gotten by over the years and don't realize they have a true visual issue. So tell me, tell me what your 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 construction of your your study is, and what some of your your prelim, your preliminary results are, and what what you know what the outcome measures are that you're using to define keratoconus. Absolutely. So this is a study that was uh, initiated by the International Keratoconus Academy. Uh, Barry Iden, who's a, in Chicago, is a, really the the key person here, and he really got the study going. Uh, and it's a basically a study that's based in Chicago and identified children that failed vision exams or ident identified to have visual issues. It didn't matter what the visual issue was. They were sent in to, for an eye exam um, for, to see what's going on, and Oculus was kind enough to donate a pentacam so that every child that came in got, had screening with a pentacam. 
And so they're able to uh, uh, screen so far over 2,000 children between the uh, kindergarten and 12th grade uh, for abnormalities on Penicamp. And the, these are these are not children who are who are coming in with, with visual problems. This is just uh, the all, all comers sort of. Uh, no, no. The, I would say they actually are patients with visual or children with visual problems. So it, it's not. This is not really a prevalence of every single child in every single classroom. It's really the people, the kids from all the different schools that were failing, weren't seeing, or having some issue that was identified. That said, okay, we really need to send you in for a vision exam. And maybe they just need some glasses. Maybe they're a little nearsighted. Maybe farsighted. They just weren't seeing well. It didn't mean that they couldn't be correctable 2020, but they weren't didn't have perfect 2020 uncorrected vision, and so they were sent in for an exam. And 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 of course, I mean, the the the, the stakes here are are much higher than than they were because there's there's now a, a treatment for this. It wasn't just sort of diagnose adios, you know. Uh, is, so how, how, how common is keratoconus? Right, so in this uh, study so far, there again, there's about 2,000, a little over 2,000 children. They had about close to 4,000 readable pentacams. Um, just sometimes the kids, you know, if you're really young, it's hard to capture. And of those, uh, of those close to, four, um, of those pentacams, it turned out that almost 20% had some abnormality on the pentacam that was consistent that with a finding of possible early keratoconus. Still required us to re review it, but there were little flags that said, okay, we need a reader to say, does this child have keratoconus or not? Huh, so what, what, what are you, now, uh, is, is this study completed? Let, no, let me ask you that first. So there's about a little bit over 700 abnormal uh, topographies that were identified or pentacams that were identified. And of those, um, we've reviewed 10%. And of the, ten, of the 74 that we reviewed, actually 73, two different uh, reviewers both agreed that the, the, the pentacam was consistent with either early keratoconus or suspect or actual frank keratoconus. So only one eye that had a flag was felt to be normal. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you to speculate on something because it's not the, the, the scope of this study. Presumably, you are picking up keratoconus. Your, your, your setup is much more sensitive than the way that we picked up keratoconus previously. And that's, that's obviously true because you're finding a prevalence that's much higher. I'm going to ask you to speculate whether you think that all of these children will go on to progress, or are some of these kids just kids with funny-looking corneas? And that's a great question. And certainly, I don't think every child needs that's has abnormal finding needs to necessarily have cross-linking. That you know, the suspects can be followed. But obviously, the kids that are identified that have actual keratoconus, they're going to, of course, uh, be sent for cross-linking uh, in the study. But the other children that are borderline, maybe they're going to be that way for the next five, 10, 15 years. Um, we don't know that. So that's going to be you know the, the continued follow-up of these patients is important. When, you when we identify a patient with an elevated eye pressure, you know, we don't always treat them right away, but we know to watch them every single year. So this is identifying children early. We're gonna watch those kids that are on the borderline and see what happens. But it's critical that they're watched every year, not just sent off and not seen again. Now, um, I'm not asking you whether surveillance with, with Pentacam it, over the, the, the grand scale of this country is, is feasible. That's not what I'm asking. What I want to ask is, just with the preliminary results that you have, how important is school screening for keratoconus? Great. So I think this is telling us that school, school screening, actually, pay, children with vision issues, that are, you know, they may, may have signs of keratoconus more than, you can't just look at the slit lamp and if they have a normal slit lamp, say, oh, we don't need screening. They may have best corrective visual acuity of 2020. Actually, the vast majority of the kids that we found have 2020 best corrective visual acuity. So the key is that they just need a screening test early to try to pick up these children early so we could follow those that are abnormal on a more longitudinal basis. Bill, this is really, really wonderful stuff. It's a little frightening. 
I mean, I, 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 I be because because the stakes are, are are very high, and there's a window for 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 treatment. Uh, but it's really really valuable stuff, and it, it's it's the sort of finding that um, sh should really change things. I mean, it, it this, this this is ultimately a public health issue. Uh, I, I want to thank you for 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 bringing this this to us, uh, and uh, Bill, I particularly want to thank you as always for being so very generous with your time with us today. Thank you, my pleasure. I love being able to help. Jessica Soralski is associate professor of clinical ophthalmology at the Weill Cornell Medical College of Cornell University in New York, New York. Bill Trantler comes to us from the Center for Excellence in Eye Care in Miami, Florida. Ask questions of Dr. Soralski, Dr. Trantler, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.